You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Battleground fight for your family. Today's message is about marriage. It's about marriage. I believe that marriage is the ground zero part of the fight for your family. And if we get this part wrong, so much of the rest of it just falls apart. And so this message is critical. But it's not just critical for married people. Everybody in the room is going to learn some things I trust from God's word today. And so um, if you're not married, it's not like, well, I guess I don't need this. It's never going to apply to me. Well, maybe it will. Um, but there's all kinds of principles we will learn from God's word today that I believe um, are going to be a help for you. But the reality is the state of marriage in our society is in trouble. It's in big trouble. A divorce is rampant, and I could give you the stats, but you don't need them. You already know. The definition of marriage has been exp- expanded to include gay marriage, and none of which of these things are even in God's design or his desire for us. And if I could give you a warning as the church, don't believe the statistic that you hear that there are as many divorces in the church as there are outside of the church. It's not true, it's a lie. People who are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and putting him first in their marriage, they're not getting divorced. But I'm not in denial of understanding that there are struggles in marriages and inside the church, even in this church. And there are people who have been divorced. But it's not like it is in the world. I did my own study. I've married about 70 couples in my ministry life. And I only know one couple that are followers of Jesus Christ who are not still together living their lives for the glory of God in their marriage. And so we hear these things and we hear these statements and they're based on some kind of study, based on something, I don't know what the breadth of the church is or just means you just got married in a church. People who are followers of Jesus Christ are not getting divorced because what God has joined together, let no man Set apart. But none of our marriages are perfect. And mine's not perfect. And there's lots for us to grow in. And there's much for us to learn about. So today's message is ground zero, marriage. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 18 to 25 as we consider some things from God's word about marriage. As you find it, let's stand together. We want to honor God as we uh, read his word together. Genesis 2, 18 to uh, 25. And then the Lord God said, it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. And for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word and consider some principles about marriage and Father, your plan, your design, what you have placed here for us. Father, we um, hear all of that today, but yet our minds are bombarded by the world's lies around marriage. And I pray, God, that you would give us grace and wisdom to see the truth in your word, to hear it, to understand it. And then, Father, as it relates to our marriages or our lives together, we would desire these things for your glory. So take your word, God, use it in a way so at the end of this message we will say that look what the Lord has done and we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you can take your seats. Well, marriage is the focal point of the battle for the family, Uh, for my family and for your family. It is ground zero. What I wanna do this morning is uh, look at 10 things that you need to know about marriage from the Bible. Are there more? I'm sure there are many more, but here's 10. 10 things you need to know about marriage. Here's the first one. Marriage is God's idea. Marriage is God's idea. Andrew and Camille are gonna get married in a couple of weeks and um, they, uh, at one point, he put a ring on her finger and all of that stuff going on and uh, all excited about that. And hey, Andrew, this wasn't your idea. You didn't come up with this great plan for the rest of your lives together. And neither did the generation before or the generation before or the generation before or the generation before. Back at the beginning, marriage is God's idea. We find it back in the verses we read in chapter two, verses 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. I will make for him a helper fit for him. In Mark 10, verses six to nine, it says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. This thing that we call marriage, this union that we have, this picture of so much was not my idea and it's not your idea. It was God's idea. It was God's idea that a man and a woman would come together and they would leave and they would cleave. God's idea. Point number two, marriage is between a man and a woman. It's between a man and a woman. Back in the same verses, the man should be alone. I've made for him a helper who is fit for him. That word fit for him, it comes from a Hebrew word that means like opposite him. I will make a helper fit for him. Someone who is like opposite him. You know, when you're dating and you're out and you find, oh, we both love peas and beans. And um, oh, and we both like the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we... And as you get closer to your marriage and your wedding, uh, you start to realize that you're not the same and there are a lot of differences. And and the further you get along in your marriage, you realize that you're very different people, but you are the same in some ways. But you're opposite in some ways. You are, in fact, like opposite him or her. And that's the way that God designed it. 
physiologically, God made men and women. That was God's plan. That's his desire. The world's definition of marriage has changed. But we don't believe the world's definition of marriage. It's counter to God. It's counter to what he has. It is not his desire. Well, what do we do with this? What do we do with gay marriage? I think as a church, we need to be very careful. We don't ever waver from what God's word says. And God's word is clear on this. But we need to be very careful about the the beam that we're seeing in somebody else's eye when really there's a beam in our own eye. And we have a responsibility to love everyone who is in any kind of sin with a goal of salvation, encouragement, restoration, repentance. When we were studying through this in the book of Romans, I said, uh, we need to learn to love the sinner and hate our own sin. So easy for us to be judgmental of other people when there's so many things in our own sight that we in our own lives that we're not even dealing with. Does it mean we don't deal with it? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But let's make sure we're dealing in love and let's make sure we're dealing in truth and let's make sure that what we're doing is for the glory of God. But when it comes to marriage, marriage is between a man and a woman. Here's point number three. Marriage is not for everyone. Marriage is not for everyone. 1 Corinthians 7, 6 to 9 says, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. A word to the church here. I think sometimes we look at singleness as being, being incomplete. It's a little bit like, well, if you're not married, like there's something wrong with you. No. It could very much be a calling in a person's life. God might have them in a set of circumstances where singleness is the best way they can possibly fulfill their ministry that God has called them to. And that's a good thing. And so shame on us, church, when we say, well, when are you going to get married? Who are you going to get married to? What's the plan for your life? And and there are people out there who are single and some who maybe wish they were married and and they somehow feel like we've made them into second-class citizens in the church. They're not. We need to guard our hearts and make sure that we haven't made marriage some kind of a spiritual attained thing and when you get there, okay, now you've arrived as a Christian. Because that's just not true. I've heard people say, like, you've made getting married an idol. Well, maybe. But maybe it's just a thing that's on their heart and a thing they would desire. And they want the right person in the right way and the right time. Singleness does not make you less. It just makes you different. It doesn't make you weird. For some, it's the calling on their life. And for others, there's a hope that one day it will happen. But you're not less important. 
And you're not to be not encouraged. And you're not to be seen as, I haven't arrived. Because it may be the calling that God has in your life and he's gonna use you for things that he could never use you for if you got married. So marriage is God's idea. It's between a man and a woman. It's not for everyone. Here's the next one. A marriage is for life. Marriage is for life. We live in a world where they build social contracts about, around a marriage. And like, so if we ever break up, here's how things are all gonna get divided. When I said I do to my wife, I said I do until my last breath. The D word is never in our conversation. Divorce is not an option for followers of Jesus Christ. Well, you say, but there's divorce in our church. Yeah, it has. It has happened in our church and it will happen in our church. And every time divorce happens, it happens because of sin. That's why it happens. People who aren't doing what God called them to do. Not necessarily both of them. There are people who get sidetracked in things and they lose their focus on the Lord and the other person's sitting there and they get hit and it's a train wreck for them. But it still comes back to sin. The divorce rate among obedient followers of Jesus Christ is 0%. It happens when we take our eyes off the Lord. It happens when we get selfish in ourselves. It, all kinds of circumstances. But marriage is for life. Sue and I have been married 35 years as of this past Monday. That word has never come on the table. It's not part of our vocabulary when we talk about each other. It's not God's desire. It's not what he wants. And you say, well, yeah, but there is a place in the Bible for divorce. Yeah, and every time it's attached to sin. And Moses talked about it and he said, I'll give you a, a bill of divorcement. Why? Because of the hardness of your hearts. And in the New Testament, around adultery or, or around a non-believing person who's leaving, it's always tied to sinful behavior. So follower of Jesus Christ, if you stood in the platform of a church and stood before God and made your vows before each other, you're in it until you have no more breath. It's not an off-ramp for the follower of Christ. Now I need to give a word to people in the room who have been divorced. Because you could just have heard that and go, man, I came to church, he just kicked me in one side of my head and rolled me over and then kicked me on the other side of my head. Um, there's forgiveness. And there's restoration. And you're not less either. And God's grace is extended to you like it's extended to everyone else in the room. And I don't know all the situation you went through. I don't know all the things that you went through, but here's what I know. The Jesus who loves me loves you. And he's a restoring savior. And that's there for you as well. And praise God for that truth. It's God's idea. It's between a man and a woman. It's not for everyone. It's for life. In Matthew 9, 19, 5 and 6, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Listen to this verse. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. For how long? Romans 7, 2, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Marriage is for life. Point number five, marriage is God's plan for procreation. Marriage was God's design of how the world would be populated. 
Um, that's easily found in Scripture. In Genesis 1, verse 28, it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The biblical pan to, to populate the earth was through families, husbands and wives having babies. That was God's plan. Now you have to remember when you're reading Genesis 1, there are only two people on the face of the earth. And their job was populate the earth. So I'm not opposed to people who want to have eight children. The Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face to shine upon you, and give you rest. <laughs> Good for you. But the last time I checked, there are a few people on the face of the earth today. And so the command, the instruction to Adam and Eve with two people on the face of the earth is not exactly the same as it would be today. I look around the room, there are a few of us here. But it was God's plan. It's God's plan for procreation. Marriage is the foundation for that. A man having all the boy parts and a woman having all the girl parts so that babies can come. In marriage, God's plan of how this earth is to be populated. Hey, here's a real practical one. Marriage is a revealer of your heart. Marriage is a revealer of your heart. 35 years together, every day has not been peaches and cream. Most of the ones that weren't are probably my fault, but there have been, there have been days where my heart has been revealed. Hearts in marriage get revealed mostly around three areas. They get, a re, they get revealed around money and dealing with money. Um, they get revealed around expectations and what are the expectations laid out for us. And, and they get revealed around the whole area of family and interaction in the family. And if you were to take those three areas out of what people struggle with in marriage, um, you would, a lot of the things would be gone. Whose place are we going to for Christmas this year has been an argument in many homes many times. Whose turn is it for this family or that family? And what's the priority for our children in that? And all kinds of things coming out about the family. All kinds of things that come out in marriage about expectations. As I said before, when you're, when you're dating and you find out you both love peas and the Toronto Maple Leafs, it's like, we're meant for each other. And then you roll over on like the second day of your marriage, women, and you see that guy beside you and it's like, what did I just sign up for? And his socks are on the floor and he did not hang up his shirt and, and expectations that you had and you thought were, they're not being met and, and your heart starts to get revealed in those things. And, and how are we gonna handle money and what are the priorities going to be and what will be first? And the struggle that happens. It reveals our hearts. Sometimes that's bad and our hearts are revealed around things like selfishness and pride and arrogance. But lest you're not married and you're about the point now of going, well, I'm never getting married because the stuff he's talking about, these guys are all messed up. It's, it reveals your heart on some other things too. 
Uh, when things get difficult and hard and your heart is revealed around love and passion and caring and commitment, marriage has a way of revealing your heart. In Proverbs 27, 19, it says, as in water, a face reflects face, so the heart of a man reflects the man. My marriage has revealed my heart many times. Sometimes it's been amazing, and other times to my shame. It's a revealer of your heart. Number seven, marriage is work. Marriage is work. Uh, sometimes I think people get thinking, oh, we're going to get married and everything will just be fine. And it's just like, like a fairy tale and you know, pixie dust on everything and the house gets cleaned and it's never any problems. And no, no, marriage is work. Um, you leave and you cleave. It's work. It's teamwork. It's now doing life together. You know, we talk about at Har in Harvest World, we talk about uh, small groups are doing life together. Well, that's a little bit of a picture of what a marriage is. Marriage is how we learn to do life together. It's hard work. It's teamwork. It's constant work. If you don't keep working on your marriage, believe me, your marriage is not going to go to a good place. It's constant work. You, you keep at it and you don't give up and you stay faithful in it. It's courtship work. And what you were doing when you were dating, a lot of those things need to continue. When Sue and I were dating, I always walked around to the other side of the car and opened the door for her. I'm 55 now. It's a long way around the car. <laughs> okay, so maybe I don't open the door all the time, but what am I doing to continue to court my wife? The woman who I work so hard to win. Work hard to keep. Court your wife, men. Take her out on a date. Go for a walk. If you really want to blow her mind, sit down and talk to her. <laughs> After she figures out there's nothing wrong, she will be really pleased. My marriage is work. It's courtship work. It's sanctifying work. We grow up together in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and the line's not like this. The line's like this, but it's growing and it's moving forward. Men and women, we have a responsibility to be sanctifying, encouraging each other and spurring each other on to love and good deeds. It's work. Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in Showing honor. Make that your life verse for your marriage if you'd like. Here's number eight. Marriage is filled with forgiveness and being forgiveness, being forgiven. It's, it's filled with offering forgiveness and being forgiven. There's lots of spilt milk that's gonna happen along the way and things that are gonna get, need to be cleaned up. Just about every marriage that I've done in this church, either in the marriage counseling or when they're standing right here doing their vows, I talk about this truth. Be quick to offer forgiveness. Be quick to ask for it. Because we're not perfect people. We weren't perfect before we got married. We're not perfect after we get married. We see the tendencies in our own lives and be quick to ask for, for, quick, for forgiveness and be quick to offer it as well. 
Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And so you could be sitting there today going, hey, 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 you don't know the woman I'm married to or you don't know the man I'm married to. Forgive her? Are you kidding me? After what she's done to me, after this thing that she's done, how am I ever going to forgive her? How about as Christ forgave you? Don't use the person around you as the example. Well, no, but like, like their marriage is almost perfect. They don't ever have anything they need to forgive each other for. Uh, their marriage might be easier than ours. Don't use them as the example. Don't use them as the standard. Use what the Lord Jesus Christ forgave you for as the standard of your willingness to forgive one another. How messed up and wretched and separated from God you were. And what God did in restoring you and bringing you to Christ and saving you out of your sin. Forgive like that. It's not easy. No, it's not easy. But you do it and you allow God to get the glory in your marriage and in your walk with Christ. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Philippians 3.13, here's another principle. Brothers, I do not consider that I, may, that I have made it my own. I love this part. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. And straining forward to what lies ahead. You need to put it away. You don't keep bringing it up. You leave it alone. Offer forgiveness and be forgiven. Filled with it. Number nine, there's structure. There's structure in our marriage. There's structure by God. Back in Genesis 2, verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. There's structure going on here. There's some things you need to do. The first thing you need to do is move out. You leave your father and mother and you come together as one flesh and you cleave together. I'm not saying there's never a time when you don't move back into the parental home for a period of time, for a situation, whatever. That can happen, and that's good, and that's right, but that's not the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is you leave and you cleave because two have become one. See, there's structure of what God has in marriage. There's structure and priorities in our marriage. The day before you got married, the first priority you had and the day after you got married, the first priority you have doesn't change. But some people get it messed up. The first priority before you were saved and the first priority, I mean, married, and the first priority after you were married is God. He's the first priority. He's the head of your marriage. And it doesn't change when you get married. Some people get that mixed up and all of a sudden their wife becomes more important to God or, or their husband becomes, pleasing him becomes more important than being right with God. No, no, God is first. God is always first. First before you said I do, he's first after you say I do. But your spouse is next. Your spouse is next. God is first your spouse is next. And we get that confused with work priorities and family priorities and how many people have sacrificed their marriage on the throne of work or how many people have sacrificed their marriage on the throne of their children. Your children are not your next priority. Your spouse is. You keep that right. You keep that focus right. And God will help you to keep the priorities right with your kids. But so often it's like, well, we got to get them into sports and we got to get them into violin lessons and they got to learn ballet and they've got to do this and this and this and this. And you keep your spouse for, in the next place and 
And when it comes to your kids, those things, all that I just listed, they all might be good things, but their relationship with Jesus Christ is the important thing. It's the first thing for them. If you can do the other things, God bless you, but don't lose the focus on the structure that God has. You leave and cleave and you get your priorities straight and you wrestle them every day and you will. It's not, yeah, it's easy for me to say it, but how do I live it out? Get your wife, get your husband in the next priority right after God. And you watch how he works the other details out in, in your life. There's structure and priorities. There's order and responsibility, but not in importance. I couldn't preach a message on marriage and not go to Ephesians 5. Anybody who's been around the church for any amount of time expected that. So uh, let's go there for a minute. There's order and responsibility, but not in importance. The husband's not more important than the wife. The roles are different. And this passage uses a word that people cringe at. I'm not sure why. Um, because when you understand it, it makes a whole lot of sense. Uses the word submit. And so often, there's a misunderstanding of what the word means. The word doesn't mean, aha, I'm the husband, you woman, in the cave, thumb on, pushing down. That's not what it means. If you're a husband and you think that's what it means, shame on you, and you're studying the wrong part of the text. So in Ephesians chapter five, when it talks about the part for the wives, and we're gonna read it in just a minute, it's the part for the wives. Nowhere in the Bible is a man told to make his wife submit. That's your job before God, ladies. Your job before God. Men, your job comes down a little bit later. Your job before God is Love your wife like Christ loved the church. But for those of you who get all bent out of shape about that whole submission thing, well, just read the entire passage. Because the verses before are very, very helpful. They sure are for me. I mean, if you go back to, say, start at verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a verse for the church. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a, it's a verse for marriage. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Get the last part of that verse right and the first part becomes pretty easy. Out of reverence for Christ. And when we understand who Christ is and what he's accomplished, submission becomes a part of who we are. Think about the submission he went through and the things that he did and what he gave up and came under and all of those things for you. Submit to one another. Ladies, here's your part. Wrestle it to the ground. Do it. Men, Here's your part. Wrestle it to the ground and do it. Verse 21 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, 
so also wives should submit to their husband in, in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. One more thing about structure. Love your spouse all you can while you are on earth. Because when we get to heaven, it's not gonna be like this. It's not gonna be like this. In, in um, Mark 12, 25, it says, for when they rise from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Not gonna be married, not given in marriage, I'm not going to figure out where my wife is so we can go walking through the park, holding hands. Marriage is for now. Marriage is for on this earth. Marriage is for me to pour everything I can into my wife while we are her here and for her to pour everything into my life while we are here because marriage is for while we are here. It's a gift from God. Pour yourself into it. I don't know what the relationships are going to be like in heaven. I know this. When we get to heaven, Sue's not going to be worrying about what I'm doing. She's going to be about worshiping the Lord. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to be worrying about what she's doing. I'm going to be worshiping the Lord. I would like to think as she's worshiping the Lord and, and she looks up and sees me over there, she might give me a little wink. And a... But the focus isn't going to be who's doing the dishes and what's for dinner. The wife that God has given you, the husband God has given you is for right now while we are here. As long as you have breath. Structure by God. The last thing in the 10 is it's a picture. It's a picture. Your marriage is a picture. Your marriage is a picture that's to reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. Back in Ephesians uh, chapter five, verses 27 to 32, it says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ as the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Here it is. This, is a, this mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. My relationship with my wife before you as a church is a picture. It's to be a picture of Christ and his relationship with the church. My relationship with my wife before our children is a picture. It's a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. My relationship with my wife before our neighbors is a picture. It's a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. Christ who came and died so I could have eternal life, undeserved, unmerited, an amazing gift. I'm supposed to demonstrate that in my life with my wife for a world to see. So they might ask us as a couple, why are you guys like you are? Like, you guys go through stuff and I don't understand how you do that. See, we're to do that on an individual basis. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Our marriages are to be pictures like that too. People should see in your marriage some things that are 
helpful to them and spur them on. Last week, Sue put back up on Throwback Thursday that picture of me in my baby blue tux with hair. More response to that than anything she's ever put up on Facebook before. But what was really cool for me was some people who put some comments and said, we've been watching your marriage for 35 years and we've learned some things from you. Paraphrasing, obviously. One, one girl who I know very well who um, had an opportunity to minister in her life at a point, she said, when my husband and I were going through some hard times and I remembered your marriage. I'm sure people can say that about many marriages in this room. It's not about me because we're not a perfect marriage. One of the things that we're gonna be an example in marriage is about how to forgive and how to offer forgiveness and all of those things as well. But it was just a reminder for me about my marriage and my marriage is a reflection of, of our church. And so is yours. And it's a reflection of your relationship with Jesus Christ. So the people would look at us and they would wonder about the hope that we have in the gospel of Christ and that our marriages would never push people away from the Lord, but rather be used to draw people that they would see Christ and the hope that there is in his forgiveness because of salvation through his finished work on the cross and all that he's accomplished for us. It's a picture. Well, quickly, because our time's almost gone. Four things that we do in our marriage. Four things that we do in our marriage. Uh, these four things will be the same for you. The application of them might be a little bit different, but four things. The first thing is about vertical. After 35 years together, amazing journey together, our marriage needs to be vertical. I use terms that we use here in Harvest. Together we need to worship, walk, and work for Christ. In your marriage, do you spend any time in worship together? Do you spend time in prayer together? We haven't always done it like we do now. And the Lord has helped us in this. It was almost embarrassing to admit that although we prayed and prayed a lot and prayed for a lot of other people for a long time, we never hardly spend any time in prayer together. We do it every day now. And as I've told you before, it's primarily for our family and maybe for a crisis that's going on, but it's primarily for our family and spending a little bit of time in word, have our own devotional times, but time together in the word and time together in prayer, time together in worship and how we walk together and daily serving together. The Lord has given us a great opportunity for that and then how we work together for Christ. We do that in the church and in prayer and in the word. It's about the relationship with God through Jesus Christ. When we got married, Sue's life verse was John 3.30. He must increase, I must decrease. And my life verse was Psalm 73.26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And so we had a sense of what we're doing in this, we're doing together for the glory of God. But our life verse together, the, the reference which is inscribed in the, our, our wedding bands is 1 Corinthians 15.58. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Our marriage needs to be vertical. Our marriage needs to be horizontal. 
We need to speak often about how much we love each other and respect each other. You need to say it, don't assume it. We need to communicate. We need to focus and listen. And I'm not real good at this. After 35 years, I'm a C maybe. Um, I need to learn to do this better. We need to communicate. Horizontally in your marriage, you need to fight fair. Fight fair. Sue, come up here for a minute. When you disagree about things, how do you do it? Does the way you do it honor the Lord? Men, men, you're bigger, you're stronger. Don't ever grab your wife in anger. And don't get in her face. And don't you go yelling at her. And if you only, and if you only, and if you only, shame on you if you do that. You're bigger than her. You can push up, you can push her back. And if you're in your, our marriage, I can outscream her in a second. Shame on us. Ladies, tears don't count. <laughs> tears don't count. Okay, you can go. My wife doesn't do this. I don't think my wife has ever used tears as a weapon. I've used my voice as a weapon, but she's never used tears. By the time Sue's crying, I'm in such deep trouble. It's not going to be good for me when it's all over, but it's never been used as a weapon. And we need to make sure that in the disagreements we have, we don't take the thing that we bring to the game and just overwhelm the other person with it. And don't use words like never and always and... We were asked this past week um, after the pastors and wives retreat, like kind of what's, what's the nugget for you? What's like your number one thing for you guys in marriage? Of which there's hundreds of them, but we both automatically knew what the first, what the number one thing was for us. Yours may not be this, this is ours. Ready? Don't ever go to bed angry with each other. You said, we don't use words like ever. Right, well, this is a good time to use it. Don't ever go to bed angry with each other. Married for 35 years. We've talked about this every time we have a counseling with a couple who's getting married. And I look at her, I can't ever remember a time. I can't, can you remember a time? Because if you can in 35 years, you couldn't, it would only take maybe one finger or two, but we can never remember when we went to bed angry with each other. That doesn't mean we go to bed always agreeing with each other. There are lots of times you don't agree. But at the end of the discussion, it's 11 o'clock at night and you're way past anything reasonable. It's time to say, you know what? We're not gonna get this fixed tonight. But you know I love you. You know this thing we're talking about has nothing to do whether I love you or not. Yeah, I understand that. You understand that? Yeah, I understand. Are we okay? Yeah, we're okay. Let's pray. Let's pray that God will give us wisdom and guide us and we'll get this thing figured out and settled, but we don't ever go to bed angry. We don't always go to bed agreeing. We don't ever go to bed angry. Now, I gotta be honest. That works way better for me than it works for Sue. Not because she's going to bed angry. She's not either. But the difference is once I get to that point, my head hits the pillow. I'm gone. I'm snoring. I'm asleep. And Sue's laying with her eyes open, going, what did we just talk about? And trying to figure it all out. And so I, I think men get a bit of an advantage in that probably overall. Um, <laughs> But the reality is, that's been a high, 
high priority for us. Don't go to bed angry. That's horizontal. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, Ephesians 4, 26. So that's a vertical horizontal. Then there's the inward part, guard your heart. Proverbs 4, 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the spring of life. Guard your heart, protect your mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The battle is for your mind. The battle is for your mind in your relationship. It's in our mind as it comes to repentance. It's, it's the battle for us when we come to our marriages. Inward, guard your heart. And externally, your marriage is a model. Your marriage is an example, and so is ours. It's a model for, first of all, for your children. Your children should see your marriage, not as a perfect marriage, but as a marriage that's filled with love and filled with forgiveness and filled with restoration and filled with moving forward and filled with facing the challenges and filled with doing it together. Your kids should see that and it should encourage them that they should never fear because of what's going on in your marriage. It should be an example to your church and to the people around you. And four things that we do in our marriage Four things you need to do in yours, and they're the same, vertical. Are you reading the Bible together? Do you open the word? And you're, and, and you're sitting there going, we've been married for 20 years and we've never done this. Well, today is the first day. So just do it. Just do it because you can and you should. Well, we don't spend any time in prayer together. Well, forget the past 20 years and just start. Just do it. Start to develop the vertical piece in your marriage that's just not there. It wasn't always there in ours and we've had to learn it and commit to it and just do it. You don't serve together. Find places where you can do things together for Jesus. You're not in a small group? Get in a small group. But get in a small group together. There's maybe a season in your life where it just doesn't work for your schedule, whatever. I'm not saying that. But, but get it as the plan so that we start growing together in Christ outside of just being together in church. One of the great disadvantages that Sue and I have in our ministry is she never gets to sit with her husband in church. And, and last week when Mike was preaching and I got to sit with her, that was like a bonus for her. You worship together. You serve together horizontally. I'm not sure what your thing is. You heard mine and maybe they're the same as yours, but let's start to step out and do some of those things for the glory of God. Inwardly guard your heart and pray for a marriage that's an example for your kids, for your church, for your community. Well, so what? So what? Marriage is the focal point for the family. It's the ground zero place in the battleground. How much time and how much passion are you resourcing into this very important thing in your life, in your walk? If you are married after God, your wife is the very first priority you have. Or your husband. How much time are you pouring into that? What's God revealing to you in this message that before this day is done, you need to get that taken care of? so that God would get the glory, so that your example before a world of Christ and his church might shine for the fame of his name. It's a battle. It's a battle that we win one day at a time. It's a battle that we win for the glory of God. Your marriage 
not your idea. God knew about it before the foundation of the world. Let's live out in our marriage for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for your word and the way that you work it in us and for our marriages, Lord. Our, our, our spouses are a gift from you. We are so blessed to have them. And Lord, in over time, we can get sloppy and Lord, maybe we haven't made it the priority that our marriage should be. And even today, as we're sitting here, we're, we're convicted about things. Lord, would you show us, God, show us, God, from your word. Show us from the principles we've learned what we need to do. And if we need to get with our spouse and we need to cry out and ask them for forgiveness, Lord, move away our heart that is filled with pride and arrogance. And Lord, come to a place of submission out of reverence for Christ. Do your work in your way in your church. For your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.